Anyong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today I have two guests. I have Ivan Clark. Hello, Ivan. Hello. And I have Sarah. Hello. And today we're covering Alter Egos, uh, which is um, episode 17 on the DVD, but it was broadcast 16th. Uh, it's the first part of a two-parter uh, with Maggie Liza introducing her uh, to us. I am going to read out the... Uh, summary that is with the DVD uh, it goes as follows while Michael experiences his first one night stand with a blind woman named Maggie George Senior learns that Cindy is actually an undercover agent who has fallen in love with him um, now the episode uh, was broadcast on the 17th of March 2004 it was written by uh, Barbie Adler who had previously written Charity Drive and it's directed by Jay Chandrasekhar, who um, directed My Mother the Car and Beef Consom, and he will direct the next episode as well, um, and that will be his final episode. So this is his third out of four episodes. First of all, I just want to ask you both, uh, when did you come to Arrested Development? When did you first start watching it? I'll start with uh, Sarah. Uh, did you watch it when it was broadcast over here on BBC Two, or did you catch up later on DVD? Uh, when was the first time you saw it? Yeah, I, I uh, it was a couple of years ago. I, I watched it through, um, I think, uh, online somehow, <laughs> and I've watched it through again. Um, I think earlier this year, something like that, because I've been watching a lot of Netflix. So yeah, I was, um, I was pretty young when it first broadcast. Uh, I remember the first time I saw it. I think it was the episode where they uh michael and george michael go up to the uh cabin and then it gets taken away on the back of a truck the cabin show yeah um yeah <laughs> and that was just on tv for some reason and then i think i a couple of years ago watched it all on Netflix with my family. My parents had seen it before then. I think they did watch it when it first aired. Um, well, the main plot of this episode deals with Michael and the plea deal that's been offered. And, of course, he meets Maggie Liza, who he, he later finds out in the episode is the one offering the plea deal. Kind of the B-plot of the episode is to do with Job. Uh, he, he, uh, he goes on a series of dares with a woman, which finished with him <laughs> married to her. Um, and... He he can't get to seal the deal. Um, <laughs> I just got and then that. and then we have the runner of Shirley Funky kind of in the background and a little bit of Cindy Light Balloon returns here for her for her last appearance. And then there's also a kind of a small subplot kind of mixed in with the Shirley stuff of George Michael tutoring maybe, which leads to Tobias making uh, George Michael a, a very odd offer <laughs> about packing his mouth or something. Um, but let's start at the beginning of the episode with the plea deal. And Barry comes in announcing that a plea deal has been offered. Uh, Lindsay and Lucille are, you know, really impressed by this. Um, and then <laughs> Barry announces he only got it yesterday. FYI, I'm trying to get back into the dating world. <laughs> which leads us to a, a quick cutscene where Barry asks, he, in his car, he pulls up and he asks a woman, Hey, you're not one of those silly men that's dressed like women, are you? And the woman replies... No, baby, I'm the real thing, which causes Barry to pull away, <laughs> uh, which is one more kind of hint at Barry's sexuality in this episode. And then, you know, 
uh, Michael asks how a person could put their sex life in front of their work. Obviously because he's the kind of person who puts his work in front of everything else. And Job says, He's a man, Michael. He needs a woman. And this leads to like a ten second silence <laughs> before Barry goes, Can we get back to work, folks? We've only got 24 hours to respond. And no matter what this is, it is better than going to trial. And I just want to say I love Henry Winkler as Barry Zuckercorn. Yeah. yeah. Like his his level of incompetence on every on every single thing is just so funny. He plays it so smoothly. Um, I didn't even realise that he was from Happy Days, I think, to start with. He just seems so <laughs> in who he is right now, you know. We we see him as a he makes there's a reference to uh Fonzie later on in the episode, and that is that's such a great little kind of touch where he he looks in the mirror, goes to comb his hair, and then decides it's perfect and he doesn't need to do anything <laughs> with it. And that is that is true Fonzie. It's rare that they actually it's rare that they bother to play on the kind of Fonzie thing in this show. They kind of almost avoid the Happy Days stuff because they've already got Ron Howard, yeah. So they don't need to kind of go over the top with it. But yeah, I do like when they do little tiny touches like that. You know, Lucille speaks on behalf of George Sr. saying... He loves it. He's crazy about the plea. He's dying to get out of that prison and be with a woman again. And this contrasts with the fact that George Sr. has a woman in his life, which is Cindy Lightballoon, a fan of uh, Caged Wisdom, which is (laughs) such a... I just love the name Cindy Lightbloom because that's yeah. such an absurd, such an absurd, obvious fake name. But uh, George Senior doesn't see through it. I love spotting uh, actors from like sci- different sci-fi series, and she plays um, the director of uh, the Initiative in um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, huh. which was it was odd to see. Her. She was also most famously at this point about to start Glee. So that's where people might recognise um, And she was also If you ever watch The Fugitive With uh, Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones She has, a, she has a, a kind of a small part In that as well Which is uh, very odd to see her um, There But yes, Jane Lynch is uh, Very funny Say, saying that she's a mole, and of course this is where George Cena again. Uh, this is the this is what kind of the second time that he's been obsessed with someone's dentistry, uh, where he sa- he says he goes, yeah, you could go to a dentist and you could grind off a, about I don't know thirty <laughs> percent. Yeah, I, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> and, I mean, earlier he 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 implored Joe to get his whistling tooth fixed and said that he he knows a dentist that's in here for something. So I, I find it interesting how obsessed he is, and of course. Um, in the in the the second series, uh, his obsession with uh, clean teeth will be will be something that gives him away. Um, and then obviously Cindy, you know, kind of because George wasn't really paying attention to what she's saying, uh, she makes it clear that she's an undercover agent, and she she says, "And I know you can beat this case they have against you. I know this for a fact." And that is the setup for what will be paid off later on in the episode. A great kind of joke. Um, and George Cena repeats this as he runs into the room and he says, I, I can beat it. I know it for a fact. And Lucille says, we're taking the plea. And George Cena says, we're not taking the plea. <laughs> and Michael says, well, I don't know what the plea is yet. And of course, Barry says, is that a shot at me? Because that makes me want to read it all the less, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's a great line. You know, Michael then kind of says, you know, I'll read it. And uh, Job looks at it and he says, it's pretty thick. And then Lindsay sets up one of the kind of running gags that will will pop up a few more times in the show where 
she says, He thinks he's a lawyer because he played one in the 10th grade. And the narrator explains to us, In order to satisfy an English requirement, Michael appeared in the drama club's production of an original play, The Trial of Captain Hook. We see a young Michael singing, You're a crook, Captain Hook. Judge, won't you throw the book? And Lucille says, I don't remember that. And Michael says, well, you left during my solo. I feel so bad then, for the uh, child actor in that who had to who had to be <laughs> in this fragment of a bad play. <laughs> you know, they they talk about how um, he thinks he's a lawyer, but in that he's playing um, he's a prosecutor. He's prosecuting Captain Hook. He's asking he's oh, he's yeah. not he's not defending Captain Hook. He's and later on, they the, the family will misremember it and they'll insist that he thinks he he can defend the family because he defended Captain Hook, but he never did. Oh, I never got that. There's so so <laughs> and, much going on in this episode. So much happens. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and we find out that Lindsay was repeating the ninth grade at the time, which might be a hint about something in season three where we finally find out what Lindsay's age is uh, mm-hmm. and why she was repeating the ninth grade when Michael is her twin. Uh, so they should essentially be in the same grade. And then Lucille says, I don't remember that. He's clearly a, a child in the flashback, uh, yeah. not of ninth grade age. <laughs> yeah. You know, Lindsay doesn't re- Lucille doesn't remember Lindsay repeating the ninth grade. Um, and then this is where we get a quick flash to... Uh, Lindsay getting a letter where it says maybe um, it's going to repeat the ninth grade, um, which is quite funny. Um, and I just want to touch upon here the cutscene. Yeah, um, it makes it makes this episode make so much more sense that that cutscene. <laughs> yeah. And the cutscene's quite a lengthy one; it's a couple of minutes long. And Lindsay and Tobias go to the principal. Um, the narrator tells us that um, that that. Um, maybe is pretending to be a set of twins again. Twins coming back, what with Michael and um, and and uh, and Lindsay, and um, they they keep acting as like though they're talking about maybe, and the principal thinks they're talking about their fictitious dying twin daughter Shirley, and <laughs> and so. Who had been hinted at in previous episodes? In um, in episode fourteen, there's a big poster which says, you know, that they're going to save Shirley, and um, and so we 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 get this very long scene where Lindsay and Tobias are basically talking about how quickly they want to get rid of their child, and the principal thinks that they mean they're going to basically they're happy to have Shirley dying on them, and it's such a it's such a clever scene the way. And the principal even says at one point, "Surely, don't you think she needs help?" <laughs> and they, and they obviously they they don't understand what he's talking about, but they keep talking about maybe. Um, but I, I just like the kind of the whole maybe, surely, like that kind of weird, like naming, like joke. Yeah, because um, but we'll, the name yes. maybe is uh, the whole the whole concept of her being named maybe is a joke that is. Uh, it sort of exists and is rarely used. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was used in the pilot. Yeah. It was used in the pilot because when George Michael said, are you my cousin? She said, maybe. Yeah. Did, mm-hmm. did they, obviously that had, a, that had a, a double meaning. Did they riff on the name Shirley much in, in the rest of the show? After, 
after the next episode, she basically dies. Yeah. Like, the character of so Shirley this, dies. This scene and they... is sort of the only time that the name is really is really um, used as a, as, as a joke. Uh-huh. And it was cut. Yeah. Which is a shame, <laughs> because... So it's not even in the show. Yeah, and then, even before I saw the cut scene, I felt that, sort of, um, Lindsay and Tobias sort of arriving suddenly at George Michael's room and asking him to tutor her daughter it was really sort of sudden um and it would have felt a lot more yeah. natural with that cut with that scene and of course to, this is where tobias says um he says if you bring our little girl's grades up i will pack your sweet pink mouth with so much iced cream you'll be the envy of every jerry and jane on the block and then of course george michael points out we're the only house on the block and it cuts to the the shot of the house with the wind whistling <laughs> yeah. to show how alone it that, is that line. and i love how tobias kind of tobias says to Lindsay. Perhaps we should ask someone else. As if they know <laughs> anyone else that could tutor, maybe. But yeah. yeah. The, thing, the thing is, as well, the, uh, the sweet pink mouth line will actually return in a few episodes' time because it's a line from All You Need Is Smiles. Um, <laughs> lots, of, oh. lots and lots of smiley smiles. Because he says, your sweet oh, yeah. pink mouth points north, not south. <laughs> so, uh, is Jerry and Jane, are those gay, some kind of gay slang? think there might be <laughs> I, i'm not sure i assume like the because of the the obsession this family has with ice cream i assume that the jerry might be like a ben and jerry's reference oh, maybe um i don't know but i think the jane part is just because um like it rhymes yeah. <laughs> a little bit with because the, they both have the same letters i think there it's there's a great uh it's a great juxtaposition between uh him saying stuff your pink mouth (laughs) and then and then like a sort of funny folksy thing to say like every jerry and jane on the block i think packing the sweet pink mouth is a little aggressive isn't it really is (laughs) yeah it's like yeah expression it's like his um yeah very very buried personality is coming out and then he has to kind of soften it <laughs> with the every jerry and jane i mean i just want it because it's not really a, like a, a large part of the story i just want to touch on kind of the rest of the the surely storyline in the episode because um you know i i like how when michael is tutoring he's like the worst tutor because he looks at the test and that, that maybe gives him and he goes okay i see your problem right away you got all the answers wrong. (laughs) And then we get like another layer on this whole Shirley thing where he goes, um, you know, you even got your name wrong, (laughs) which I think, you know, George Michael, I think could believe that maybe would write the wrong name Uh on a test paper. Um, To which she uh, replies something about married and single. Yeah. (laughs) She says they want you to put an S if you're single or an M if you're married. Most of us are all single. But it's a whole government thing. And I love how she says most of us as though there are some 14-year-olds in this school that are married. (laughs) And it's such (laughs) a ridiculous lie that uh, it's sort of a theme with the character of coming up with ridiculous lies that people believe for some reason. I thought that she believed that. Well, I love how George Michael goes, yeah, okay. And then he tries to tutor her and she's like, um, you know, are you getting paid? For, you getting paid for this, right? And George Michael goes, 
Um, there was some talk of ice cream, but not exactly on my terms. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, of course, this is this is where maybe gets out a huge wad of cash, and she she says, "Enjoy the two hundred bucks." And George Michael says, "The six twenties here." And maybe goes, "That's right." Yeah. <laughs> and I love how she shortchanges him by eighty bucks and doesn't even realize it. Which do you think that that is also? her do you think she really doesn't notice it or do you think that she's acting dumber than she is no i think she really has terrible math skills and she can't work out how much she actually uh-huh. is yeah, um this is this is something that they touch upon in season four where basically she ends up repeating not just the ninth grade but other grades and ends up being in school for quite a long time due to her really bad math skills uh-huh. I, yeah I, I believe yeah she doesn't know <laughs> she doesn't know how many 20s are in $200? And then, um, you know, she gets an A and, um, you know, she says, great job. And she gives him some more money. And then she goes to a fundraiser for a sick girl, to which the narrator tells us... This rang false to George Michael, who knew that fundraisers, a passion of her mother's, were something that maybe would avoid. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we see that... Actually, you know, George Michael goes and he sees that maybe is the sick child. And the teacher says, um, you know, we have a child who has shown us the meaning of courage. Now let's show her the meaning of charity. Please welcome Shirley Fionke. And, um, you know, maybe he's been pretending to be two twin girls. Um, and it's a, and the narrator tells us one of whom is ill. And we see maybe cough and then a, a student yells... Okay. Because evident, evidently, may, maybe has managed to create herself an, an ill twin whose only cure is cupcakes, apparently. Yeah. So, for, for, you for know, coughing. Uh, and who people apparently give wads of cash that she can pay George Michael with. Now, that story will continue in the next episode, and we'll kind of conclude a little bit, um, where we find out that the disease that Shirley has is BS. <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately, there is no cure for it. Um, but let's get back to the main plot, uh, which is Michael. Um, he's gone to the bar across the road from the courthouse trying to read the plea. And he says this line a number of times where he says, Not to exceed five years, but no less than three. And that is a weird way of phrasing yeah. something. So I can understand why he keeps reading it. But basically, he never gets past the first page. And that is all it says. He never he um, never reads any line besides that one. No. I, and I in fact, he even he even gets it wrong when he states it later on, because he says um, no less than four, but more than six or something. <laughs> I know that feeling where um, you keep reading the same line. <laughs> it's not going in. Job makes a uh, reference to this uh, when he asks Michael how many sexual partners he's had. Yes. <laughs> he's Job is obsessed with um <laughs> with him not having slept with more than four women. Mm-hmm. No, he says if you slept with more than four women, and Michael says I have Job, and he goes more than five. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say five. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we set up the whole one night stand thing, uh, which Job sells as no real names and no promises. <laughs> Staring pensively love. into the distance. Oh, he does that so <laughs> yeah. well. His, uh, just his performance throughout everything is just incredible. Well, I love that he's like, um... These are lawyers. That's Latin for liar. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. And then this is where Maggie Lizer enters. Now, I think in the second part, we'll find out that this is actually kind of deliberate. 
Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she was, she was deliberately trying to to get you know close to Michael Bluth. Um, so she kind of bumps into him, and she uh, says, "Oh, I'm falling all over and- you." She like literally, literally <laughs> falls on him. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have to say that um, Julie Louis Dreyfus's like performance as Maggie Liza is so great. Yeah, like just how she plays. Because obviously, you know, we don't find we find out in the next episode she's not blind, but in this episode she's playing blind. Yeah. But she plays it so well. I mean, later on when she pours the coffee and she just basically pours it all over yeah. her own carpet. She's really to trying sell to drive the bit. home that she's blind. She's like, this guy isn't <laughs> getting it. I need to pour this kettle on the floor. Does a good job of playing a character who is pretending to be blind and i love here when she like her awkward banter is like the my favorite part where she's like when michael's like uh, just working on on this plea and she says if you're pleading with me to have a drink you can stop begging <laughs> and of course michael completely oblivious says no it's a plea for this case and he stops and he goes oh i'm sorry you want a drink and this is of course when the first of the the kind of blind non sequiturs come in where she says well, i didn't come here for the view and then she, and then she yells as if a bartender is in front of her and saying i'll have a vodka martini and michael goes i'll tell him <laughs> i love how he misses it and he just basically says you know vodka martini and then of course she says um, I'm Maggie Lizer, as in Maggie Lizer ass off. <laughs> Which proves to be more true Absolutely. than... Falls on deaf ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I love how she says, one person laughed at it once, and I don't know why I keep trying it. And this is where we get the kind of the second running joke of this relationship, which is Michael never laughs at any of her jokes. He just kind of smiles. Yeah. But because she's meant to be de- blind... She can't see. <laughs> so <laughs> so he has to loudly fake laugh later on. But first here he says, no, it's good. Like t- telling her basically that he's kind of smiling without <laughs> telling her. And then, of course, he gets the inspiration for, I mean, possibly one of the greatest fake names ever created. Um, where he, he reminisces about Captain Hook and says that he's a... Uh, a maritime lawyer, and he says, the lawyers of the sea. <laughs> and uh, I love how she, she says, a submarine chaser. Because yes. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's a clever... Chaser. Such a, a clever change. And then when she asks what what his name is, he says, Cherith. And then she goes, Cherith? So what's your last name? And he goes, Cute story. And then she goes, Cute story? <laughs> and then... Cherith, cute story. What do you think Cherith is? It's like Gareth and Chad and... Jared, like, yeah. mushed together. Yeah, it's, it's a weird... It's such a weird name. Uh, but in, I think in the third season, there will actually be a character named Charith okay. uh, that they show. So they, they use that they use that name as, like, a joke later on. <laughs> and then when she says, that's an interesting name, he goes, is it? And I love how he <laughs> yeah. kind of undersells how stupid this name is that he's chosen. Like, Charith's cute story is the stupidest name ever. And I just love... I just love that he kind of completely undersells it. Um, and and of course, you know, they drink and the narrator tells us after an evening of drinking, Michael, being the sensible one, offered to give Maggie a ride home. And then, of course, we see, you know, he's literally giving Maggie a ride home. She's He's giving her a piggyback out of the bar as they both kind of like yell and scream. Um and then the narrator tells us... The next morning, Michael was wondering how to end his first one-night stand. And uh, this is where we get the, ca- the coffee gag, um, where she brings in the coffee, and then we meet Justice. And then we get a lot of this kind of... Um, 
uh, I, I don't know how to say, like, it's kind of like blind gags. Like, it's stuff related to how she's blind and how she'll have to use her other senses. So she asks Justice, is he as handsome as he smells? <laughs> she's kind of She's obsessed with, weird. yeah, she's like, oh, blind people, they, they, they can only, the only other sense they have is their sense of smell. It's a, it's a really weird kind of like running joke that she does. Um, and I love the whole, um, you know, how when she says, how else am I going to get to work? And he goes, you ride a dog to work? And then she goes, you are funny. Let me see that smile. And he goes, well, it's tough with your hands in the way. And then obviously this is where we get the uh, the coffee gag. And then it goes, and Michael suddenly records some non sequiturs <laughs> from the night before. And then Maggie says, I have an irreversible case of ocular retinoblastoma. And Michael says, hey. I thought we said no more law talk. <laughs> and Michael says, Michael says, I can't see anybody right now. And Maggie says, I can't see anybody ever. <laughs> and then she literally says, I'm blind. As Michael says, I'm wasted. <laughs> and I just love, I love how those flashbacks kind of illustrate how she's basically been telling him the whole time that she's blind and kind of dropping the hints. And yet he hasn't picked up. So I think... As we all know, she's not blind, so I do think that the coffee gag is just a way to really forcefully make yeah, Michael realise what the to situation feed his is. Face first as well, but he doesn't get it. The line yeah. um, "I'm blind," well, I'm wasted, reminds me of the line uh, "You're high," well, you're drunk. That happens multiple oh, yeah. times <laughs> between uh, George and yeah. Lucille. <laughs> yeah, I think the kind of people yelling stuff at each other is kind of funny. And then obviously, you know, we find out that Michael's overcome with guilt because Maggie's blind. And um, he says, when can we go out again? <laughs> he says, when to stop her pouring the coffee. And then yeah. he finishes the sentence <laughs> by saying, can we go out again? Can we go out? And then obviously he talks about how, you know, he goes... I took a blind woman home with no intention of dating again, please. And this is where Michael's kind of like moral kind of compass comes into. He always has to be the most moral person. Uh, and I think it's funny that it kind of always ends up biting him in the ass. And in this particular case, such a coward it will. And, it's, yeah. a, it's a very, and it's a very strange moral stance to take. Uh, yes. That like, you can't take a blind woman home for a one night stand. It's not like. Yeah, you have to stay in a relationship with her for the rest of her life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's him. uh I think partially it's him just positioning himself as somehow more moral than what Job tells him to do. I guess he didn't want to do it. Although he did give a fake name. That's he true. Did, he did give a fake name, though. So he, he did, he did like, one thing that Job tell him, told him. And he did give a fake profession. So, he, he, you know, he kind of... He was kind of doing what Job was saying, but obviously once he gets to this point, he realizes he can't, he's not Job, and he can't completely be Job. He says later on, if if this is a one-night stand, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is completely true. Uh, while this is going on, we get George Sr. and Cindy Light Balloon, and, um, you know, he's, uh, he's uh, tweaking her nipples through a chain link fence as Lucille, yeah, as Lucille <laughs> arrives. Um, and I just love that Lucille says, um... <laughs> Is this why you wanted to fight this thing? So you could run off with this great redwood of a whore? <laughs> great redwood of a whore. 
And I just, I, I just love the. I mean, obviously, um, Jane Lynch is extremely tall. <laughs> She's like six foot. So you know, I just think calling her a redwood is like it's just such a Lucille kind of insult. It's like the one thing she can see about her is she's tall, yeah. and so that is where she her mind goes straight away. She's, and she's got insults um, stashed away for every eventuality. <laughs> and of course, um, you know, Lucille then decides that uh, she's going to get divorced, and uh, Cindy is kind of distraught that she's a home wrecker, and that that will continue. But we then find out that um, you know Michael comes home upset his one night stand wasn't over um and job job job's boast is really funny because he he gets into this kind of pattern where he says uh you should have seen me get some major action from a major blonde who just majored in marine biology if you know what i mean and michael says i don't know what you mean i can't imagine what that means (laughs) (laughs) and i like how job was going for some kind of um you know, he was he was going for an innuendo with marine biology. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work. Sounds like a lesbian innuendo right. to me. It doesn't quite fit. <laughs> I love I love how they break down the situation of, um, you know, what went wrong with Michael, where you know he he says, um, you know, he says he went home with someone, and Job says, "What's wrong with her?" And Michael says, "There's nothing wrong with her." And then he pauses for a second and says, "She's blind," and Job goes, "Are you serious?" But he isn't like angry about it. He's happy about it. And Michael's like, I didn't know at the time. Now I've got to go and take her to the, the park and read a dog uh, with a dog. And and Job says, you just won the gold medal at the at the sexual <laughs> special Olympics. Yes, I just I wrote that down. It's funny because actually Michael is like, you know, because he, he, Job says, D- I told you to walk away. Did you give a fake name? And he says, uh, I'm Charif Cute Story, a pirate lawyer. It was airtight. And Job says boy, you really had to work hard to buy a bag this blind chick. Huh? <laughs> and I just love how he's kind of sort of impressed and not impressed by, by Michael's situation. And yeah, that yeah, then he, he's... This is where he Joe kind of starts to get angry because, you know, he starts kind of breaking down his, where he's like, don't you see how you're so lucky? God, how do you not... And, and Michael's like, what's the matter with you? Didn't you bag some woman you're not going to see again? And Joe's like, well, I screwed up. She knows that I'm Joe Bluth and got married. And I, just... <laughs> and I love how he kind of tries to swallow that. And then he's like, she was a darer. She's just one of those girls who dares you to do things. And then when we get the flashback, we see um, the narrator explain that what started as an innocent flirtation had turned into a series of escalating challenges. Unfortunately, the evening was draining and one thing they never dared each other to do was consummate the marriage. And this is where Joe says... Time to seal the deal. And then Joe's wife realises that she's got a seal deal and she's got to get to Sealand to sell five of their sickest seals to a third world zoo. (laughs) And then I I love that like they instantly turn into like a couple and get into a fight where he's like, did you say seals? And she's like, yes, I told you like four hours ago. I I sell seals. (laughs) She goes, God, do you ever listen to what I say? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry I don't memorise every word that comes out of your mouth. Sometimes I just like to think think my thoughts and I, just job saying think my thoughts is my favorite kind of because i don't think job has thoughts to think but they just sail the through chemistry, his head the chemistry between uh job and amy poehler is really great i think it really shows that they were a real married couple 
playing a pretend married couple. Were they? Um, yeah, they were. They, they were married. I didn't realise that's the that. second person I've told that uh, second person I've told that to today, <laughs> and they were surprised to find out. Yes, Amy Poehler was Will Arnett's wife at this particular uh, time. I was just impressed uh, that I knew her in name. In the film, <laughs> <laughs> well, in the film Blades of Glory, they play brother and sister, oh, okay. um, and at, and at one point they start kissing each other, and everyone gets oh, kind of like weirded that out. But a lot. In real life, like married. Yeah, in real life, they're. Bro- Playing brother, playing brother and sister? Or playing brother and sister and yeah. then getting married. <laughs> so, they're yeah. Not, maybe they're not blood-related. <laughs> <laughs> no, in Blazes of Glory, they were blood-related. Um, I think I think Amy Poehler, she's only in a couple of episodes this season. She's in a, a few more episodes next season. And uh, like you say, yeah, she's got great chemistry with Will Arnett. Um, and then obviously, uh, this is where the narrator kind of explains... You know that they didn't do any sleeping, and then he says, "I had sex last night." And the narrator directly contradicts him, saying, "But he really didn't." And then Joe goes, "Yes, I did," as if he's heard the narrator <laughs> say that. And it's just such a great kind of button to that scene. Um, yeah. And then we get we get Michael and Maggie on their date, and then she keeps leaning on the smelling thing, where she's like, "I thought I smelled you come in." <laughs> And then she keeps asking Justice, did you smell the handsome man, Justice? Um, <laughs> and then obviously, um, you know, we get the whole thing about the one night stand. And, you know, he says, uh, you know, I'm not very good at it. And then they kind of talk about the, the trial. Um, and then he, I love how he Justice... takes her for a walk and describes the scenery while also trying to read <laughs> the plea deal. Well, first of all, his uh, they they let justice off the leash for some reason, and he just goes around attacking people, um, and a roller baiter screams at them. But yeah, I I love how um, I love how he describes an elderly couple walking hand in hand, they're having a wonderful time, and then he he starts reading the deal, and he says, uh, three years is what I give them, then one of them dies, and the other one's not too far behind," <laughs> which is such a kind of macabre way of covering up. His like reading of the deal, and obviously, you know, she says, "I can smell right through you," and she really is kind of like leaning heavily on that whole um, <laughs> smell thing because um, she doesn't seem to really know how blind people work. No, even though she's <laughs> no pretending to be one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we get to possibly my favorite appearance by James Lipton as Warden Stephen Gentles. Um, you know, I love all the stuff with um, New Warden. Mm-hmm. him kind of all the stuff with Tobias that's all great stuff but I love the whole thing where he says you know he goes to see George Senior who's working at a roadside and um, and he says I want you to know that last night I watched a very impressive videotape of the title Caged Wisdom I was struck by the dual life of the spiritual man <laughs> and I did very much enjoy the blooper bonus footage at the end. And George Senior goes, Well, you know, I, I almost did strangle myself on my own prayer shawl. And I just love the reading of a self-choking for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like such a such a great line. And what you don't realize at this particular point is that this is actually setting up um, a joke for the, the kind of the other half of the, the, the prison storyline with Cindy Light Balloon. Um, and obviously, you know, after the warden leaves, Cindy arrives and um, she says, I know for a fact we have one, meaning their future. And um, 
you know, George Sr. says, you keep saying, I know for a fact. What fact? And she says, faith. I have faith. My prayers will free you. And George Sr. says, faith is not a fact. And she goes, oh, yes, it is. You said so in cage wisdom. And the narrator explained, uh, he had said faith is a fact. Unfortunately, it was a cage wisdom blooper bonus footage. And then we see him go, faith is a fact. No, faith is a facet. I almost said faith is a fact. And then just as he ends that blooper, you see him start to choke himself on his pressure. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, great... Because you only see it for like half a second that starting to choke himself on the prayer shawl <laughs> right before it cuts away. Yeah. And uh, this is obviously what makes, um, you know, George Senior change his mind. And he says, I'm going to trial because you don't understand what a blooper reel is. I love that line. <laughs> uh, I love it. And then obviously we get back to the courthouse and um, we find out that, um, you know, Barry hasn't read the plea deal. Michael hasn't read the plea deal. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Barry says, I got busy with my other clients. And, you know, Job says he's getting an annulment. And he and Barry says, you can only get an annulment if you haven't consummated the marriage first. And, of course, Job, because he's in front of Michael, he then says, well, I guess I just stay married then. Because we all know I closed that deal, right? <laughs> and then the narrator, of course, contradicts him straight away and says, but he really didn't. And I love how the narrator is undercutting Job all the way throughout this episode. Um and then obviously this is where uh, you know Lucille announces that she's uh, she's gonna be getting divorced, and she tells Job, "Don't worry, sweetie, no one is fighting over you." <laughs> <laughs> Once again, reinforcing the idea that Lucille does not care for Job. Yeah. Um, and George Senior wants them to take the plea. Lucille wants them to go to trial, and uh, Lucille explains, uh, "You know, you think a man locked up in prison would abstain? Your father is." father with his disgusting tweaking i couldn't breastfeed any of you kids because of that man uh <laughs> to which barry says under his breath you still look fabulous i missed that he says they still look fabulous <laughs> <laughs> so we know what he's talking about um uh, and then this is where george senior says the only thing i was pumping her for was information um because she was a government informant and i love the kind of weird kind of dynamic between Lucille and George. Because it, obviously it's rare that we see Lucille and George in this first season together because she rarely visits him in prison. Mm -hmm. um, so it's only kind of in these scenes that we actually get to see them acting together, uh, you know, like as a couple. And, um, you know, she says, I should never have doubted you. Even when you slept with my sister, it was for a good reason. <laughs> and George Sr. says, got it to stop, got, her, got you to stop drinking, didn't it? <laughs> and I just, I just love kind of the... In those few lines, we kind of know a lot about their relationship and how they function and kind of like the levels of manipulation they're willing to do. Yes. And they're um, willing to willing, um, yeah, just ignoring the facts. <laughs> and in the courtroom, we find that uh, they've got Ping again. Uh, judge Ping earlier in the season was their uh, judge. Oddly enough, earlier in the season, he kicked the cameras out of the courtroom. But this time the cameras get to stay in. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why, but they just do. Um, and then we see that Maggie is the prosecution and Barry goes, we got Liza. And this is how we, we now find out that Maggie is the most feared prosecutor in Orange County. 
And uh, and the narrator tells us, not because she was a particularly adept lawyer, but because she won the sympathy of not only the jury and the judge. Um, and this is where she points at a guy and says, and was that man in the room not you, doctor? And she's not pointing in the right direction. So he kind of leans around and says, uh, I was in that room. And the narrator tells us, but oftentimes the defendants themselves, <laughs> uh, which, which I find quite funny. Yeah, this this episode has a theme of, of women pretending to be disabled, which is a bit yeah. odd. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, in this one, uh, she's not really disabled, and she's trying to make uh, Michael believe that she is. And in, uh, <laughs> in the other case of this, it's the opposite situation, where she really is, and Michael can't... Uh, Michael doesn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. He he throws a Bible at her. Um, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is where, you know, Barry objects. Um, and I love that Michael says, she can smell me. She smells everything. <laughs> <laughs> the more logical, the more logical answer would be she's not blind. But, uh, you know, this is where Barry says, we haven't read it. We're going to get to it. I'm going to start right now. And he starts reading the uh, the the plea. And then in the in the bathroom, uh, Job, you know, is like, that's the blind chick you slept with. And uh, Michael, <laughs> Barry says, you're in bed with the prosecution. <laughs> and Job says, it's genius. Um, and then, you know, I, I love Job's line because it's kind of like, um, it's like a bit of a satire here because he says, please do the right thing here. String this blind girl along so that dad doesn't have to pay his debt to society. <laughs> and it's such a kind of Job line. But I just, I love the kind of, the, kind of, the way that Job is like, behave badly so, because that's the right thing to do. So it kind of lets you know where Job's kind of um, morality is. Yeah. Um, you know. And, and, it, and, it, and everything. To, <laughs> it sort of indicates like his self-centeredness. He, he, uh, thinks that it's moral that uh, father shouldn't have to pay his debt to society uh, <laughs> because it affects yeah. Job. Michael Michael goes to talk to um, Maggie and uh, Job says, I better get back to the wife, which I, I just kind of love how he's, he's already kind of like, um, you know, playing the husband. Um, and this is where Barry does his little Fonzie move after saying that he's going to take a scenic drive down to the city of industry, uh, which I have a feeling is an indication of his sexuality. Um, that obviously is a bit of an in-joke. Um, and, you know, Michael goes to Maggie, determined to tell her the truth. Um, and then obviously she says, come on in, and he's already in. And he has to say, I'm in. <laughs> and I just, I kind of love the awkward timing of her because she's so firmly pretending to be blind she literally won't acknowledge simple things um but yeah i just i just love the kind of timing of it um and you know <laughs> maggie says uh, don't tell me another pirate is roaming the high seas um which just such a kind of i love how she's fully committed to his lie as well yes um it's like yeah and <laughs> And I love as well how Michael is like, I'm not trying a case. And she's like, they settled. <laughs> Even though she knows he's Michael Bluth. Um, you know. And then this is where, you know, she she gives to Michael some paperwork and says, it's an overview of the government's case. 
against the Blue family. It's a summary. It's basically absolutely everything we've got. And Michael says, you're just going to give it to me. And she says, you're a liar. What do you think? Do we have a case? And the episode finishes with Michael mouthing, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is quite funny. Um, And then we get the on the next, where maybe has got this, this gigantic chair. This is an unusual chair. on the next because some of it is actually things that happen on the next episode as opposed to just yes. made up yeah. things. <laughs> oh, yeah, the final bit is an actual reveal of what will happen in the next episode. But, um, yeah, so we, we get maybe attempting to deposit a check, which is a funny little set of physical stuff where she can't get the pen to write on the back of it. Because she's sitting um, in her and... fake wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, and then, you know, we see a bit of Job's married life where Job's wife says, The seal deal fell through. Three of the seals died on their way to Chad. How am I ever going to find a maritime lawyer? And I love the <laughs> a reference to Chad's cute story right there. And he goes, I'm sorry, did you say seals? And she's like, yes, I trade trained seals for a living. Do you ever listen? And Job goes, do you ever stop talking? And I just love this kind of straight away, this kind of like argument as though they're an old married couple. Yeah. Uh, and then we and then we get revealed. Tobias is sent to sneak into Maggie's house to steal evidence, oh. only to discover such a good clip. That she's not blind. <laughs> and yeah. we see one of and... my favorite things in the whole show, which is Tobias uh, <laughs> doing Gymnasting. his cat-like <laughs> gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. To, amazing. Which is to weird. Roll be- out of the way <laughs> because it, in the next episode. Um, when this moment happens where she's like, uh, she actually does it slightly differently. Um, and she, she, you know, she, she grabs the thing and she starts talking to justice. Um, and then she gets sprayed in the eyes and she actually gets blinded. So it's weird that the moment that they're showing to us from the next episode where they're saying she's not blind is about 10 seconds before she's actually blind. (laughs) Um, so it's kind of only on rewatching. Do you realize kind of the, the levels uh, yeah, that's one thing I uh, love about this show. There's so much foreshadowing for little things. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I should mention that uh, being a, a true Milford man, Buster is neither seen nor heard in this episode. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why Tony Hale was missing, but there seems to be a thing in the first season where both Tony Hale and David Cross seem to like alternate missing episodes. There's some episodes where Tobias is missing. And it's all about Buster, and there's other episodes where Buster is missing and Tobias is featured. Mm. Um, Maybe it's so, a contract yeah, thing. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. They're all series regulars, so they should be. They're all getting paid for every episode, regardless of whether or not they're in them. Um, but yeah, uh, and so that's kind of like the at the end of the episode. Um, so, what are your guys' thoughts on this episode, uh, Ivan? Um, honestly. Uh, it's not my favorite part of the series. Um, it, there, I think there are less jokes per minute than in some other episodes of the show. Um, but I think that, uh, yeah, I like this episode a lot. Um, it, uh, there's a lot of plot machinations in some ways and there's a lot of uh setting up things for the future maggie gets a lot of good stuff in this episode and i think 
uh i think barry gets a lot of good stuff in this episode too um yeah there's there's a lot of plot packed into this it's quite impressive really um i forgot that job gets married i mean that's fairly significant (laughs) although obviously it doesn't happen that way exactly job gets married as like a tertiary plot yes (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, there's so much plot. Um, it's pretty tight. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's great to see um, Elaine <laughs> in there. Uh-huh. Uh, she does a great job. She looks exactly the same as well. <laughs> she was in Seinfeld. <laughs> great stuff. On the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, my guests will be Adam Claver and uh, Trevor Gibson, and we will be talking about Justice is Blind um and you know michael will be attempting to do the right thing and ending his relationship with this blind girl uh obviously it does not go as planned uh now uh do you have anything to plug and i'm going to ask sarah first not really at the moment <laughs> i do have a website it's um sarahingram.co.uk which has some design stuff on it it's funny you should mention that uh trevor gibson is going to be in the next episode because I have a podcast called They See Me Rollin' along with Trevor and some other people where we play Dungeons and Dragons. I like it a lot. You can (laughs) listen to it. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me on today's episode. Um, Thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me. It was great speaking to you, both of you. And um, otherwise, uh, goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye forever. (laughs) 